This is a St. Jude moment. Ashton was a high-level athlete, and in a, an instant, your world flips, and your healthy five-year-old competitive cheerleader has a brain tumor. And the physician was like, your best option is St. Jude. Receiving treatment that was life-saving for our child and knowing that that treatment would be of no cost to us was a huge weight lifted. Learn more at stjude.org. As CEO of my own pirate enterprise, I chose HubSpot as my CRM because it lets my team work together seamlessly. So no more accidental plank walks. Learn how you can connect your people, your customers, and your business at HubSpot.com. Listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio Network, the home of Night Dreams Talk Radio, with Gary Anderson, syndicated worldwide. Paranormal Talk Radio, like you remember. Come along on a unique journey of adventure and discovery. Read on the Trail of Bigfoot. A first-hand account from paranormal researcher and skilled outdoorsman, Mike Dupler, 
on his many years of investigations into the Bigfoot phenomena and his personal encounters with these enigmatic creatures of the forest, complete with photographs. Don't delay. Order your copy today. This book will inspire those who have answered the call to seek this elusive creature, the Bigfoot. The truth is out there. On the Trail of Bigfoot by Mike Dupler. Available now at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and IndieBound.org. Deep in the desert wilderness of Arizona, there lies a fabled treasure trove of gold. One that was said to be enough to make 20 men millionaires all the way back in 1891. Many have searched for it, but all have failed. After years of research, author Matt Polston debunks many myths surrounding the mine, including the location. Your next adventure awaits in The Lost Dutchman Mine Location, rewriting history. But are you brave enough to take the first step? Available on PolstonHouse.com, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Get your copy today. The Lost Dutchman Mine Location. www.polstonhouse.com Do you remember how great paranormal talk radio was in the 80s and 90s? Night Dreams Talk Radio brings back to you talk radio like you remember. With your host... Gary Anderson, broadcasting to you live from his secret compound deep in the great Northwest. Now, here's Gary. And here I am, and I can't believe it's almost the end of June already. Summer is flying by, but you know, I look outside, walk outside, and it feels like, well, spring or fall. I mean, up here in the Northwest, in the Gig Harbor, Washington area, we haven't seen any signs of any decent weather yet. It was supposed to be 85 yesterday. It hit 64. Uh, tomorrow, they're saying it's going to be in the 80s. We'll find out. I don't know. Earth changes, my friends. Earth changes. Well, now, a medical st uh, study out of the UK, UK is saying that if you can balance on one leg... For 10 seconds, you're going to live longer than if you can't balance. In other words, if you can't hold your body up with one leg for 10 seconds, you're going to well, maybe pass on about 10 years early. What do you think about that one, James? Well, then I'm in good shape. I can balance on either foot, um, on one foot for way over 10 seconds. So, hey, that's, a, that's the best news I've heard all day. That's not what your mother said. She says you can lift both feet up and balance yourself. I can, but it's not for very long. That's about a half a second, and I the whole bottom drops out. That's I know. When you're a kid, you remember when you were a kid, you had these dreams that you could, you know, like um, the boogeyman or the monsters chasing you, and you could jump up on the telephone pole and fly. 
And you could do that. And every time the monster would get closer, you could jump on another telephone pole. But then after a little a period of time, you can't quite get up to the top of the telephone pole. And all of a sudden you can't get halfway up. And then all of a sudden you're only jumping six feet. And the next thing you know, the monster's got you. That sounds like a whole movie I've seen recently. But, yeah, that scenario, I think I would be like, well, I, I'm not climbing that pole. Let's just fight and get it over with. Well, you know, they're saying when we go to the moon, NASA is going to set up nuclear reactors on the moon to support, well, the colonies. Wow. Now, that's interesting. I haven't heard that one. I think we need to get, like you all have been saying for quite some time now, I think we need to get there first before we get to Mars. But, yeah, that's that's one step in the right direction if they can do it. Now, wait a minute. Do you think about this? Maybe <laughs> we're not Earth. We just called it this place. We're standing on Earth. Maybe this is Mars, and what we think is Mars is Earth. That could be, but and then again, you get that whole matrix reality. Maybe we're just not what we think we are anyway. So I don't know. But think Time about it: happen. if life maybe started on Mars before it did on Earth, so maybe yeah. we have it reversed. Uh, you know what could be? I know there's a lot of theories out there that say that we're originally from Mars anyway, uh, the other Mars. Well, in the news, a rare white buffalo was born. And is that a heavenly sign? Now, again, you know, we have family or I have family uh, members with the Muckleshoot Indian tribe talking to the medicine woman here. Actually, yesterday when I read this article, she said that is the changing of times as the earth is going to go into a new level of existence. And then when I asked her, I said, what does that mean about us? And she said, we're going to be gone. It's going to be reborn. Now, that's this, you know, the American natives here, Muckleshoot tribe. Yeah, those white buffaloes are very sacred when they, if they come around. And, yeah, there's a lot of meaning behind them. And different cultures, I guess, have different meanings across the country. But I think they're all about the same from what you're saying with the American uh, Indians. Well, a fisherman was out looking to catch a fish out in the ocean. And he caught a seven-foot blue uh, fin tuna. Wow. That's huge. That's worth a lot of money, Gary. A lot of money. Well, put it this way. You could buy a real, you know, in in Japan especially, you could buy. That tuna literally would bring millions of dollars. Yeah. Remember, um, you reported on the news two, three years ago, but one in Japan brought almost $3 million. Yeah, and the seven-foot one. I'm going to just go out and start fishing out in the ocean. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, like uh, Captain Paul Watson said, the, the they really went down in numbers because of overfishing. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine though, standing on you? How could scientists and come up with a conclusion? If you can stand on one leg for 10 seconds, you're going to live many years longer than the people that only can stand on two legs. Right. That That means that they've been testing people that's been doing out when they were maybe 10 or 20 or 30, and then they might've died when they were 90. Yep. Let's look. Yeah. He stood on his leg for 10 seconds long. I mean, it doesn't make sense. I'm 70 years old. I am not going to try standing on one leg. It's bad enough to get on a Harley and go for a ride. You think I'm going to sit there and, and, and try to gain another five, 10 years by standing on one leg. 
It's not going to happen. I'm going to be in the hospital. <laughs> I was just thinking that people's going to be trying it and falling over and, and, and injuring themselves. Oh, yeah. We'll be right back with a great uh, guest here tonight. It's going to be a topic in 48 years I've never talked about on the show. No, I'm not going to talk about my sex life, but we're going to talk about something that's probably more interesting. Anyway, so we'll be right back. You're listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio. Meet the Totally Ninja Raccoons. Three raccoons who become ninjas because they already have the masks. The Totally Ninja Raccoons books are short adventures with quick chapters, specially structured to encourage reluctant readers. Each book has the Totally Ninja Raccoons encountering a cryptid. The monsters are presented in a fun, not-so-scary way. I said not so scary. <sighs> Readers are encouraged to do their own research and make up their own minds about the possible existence of Bigfoot, the Jersey Devil, aliens, and more. The Totally Ninja Raccoons are available on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. You can buy autographed copies direct from the author at KevinCoolidge.org. That's KevinCoolidge.org for the Totally Ninja Raccoons. Hi, this is Val Von Torn of Metatron Power and Light. You're listening to Gary Anderson and Night Dreams Talk Radio. Matthew J. Matteo Palomari frequently visits the mountains, deserts, and jungles of North, Central, and South America, pursuing his studies of shamanism for over 25 years. He has 17 books in print in multiple genres and has taught a fantastic fiction workshop at the Southern California Writers' Conference and the Santa Barbara Writers' Conference for over 30 years. Mateo has also lectured at a number of other conferences and conventions throughout the United States and was a featured lecturer and performer at the Mysteries of the Amazon exhibit at the Appleton Museum and other venues throughout Florida, as well as the Larson Gallery and other venues in Yakima, Washington. Welcome to the show, Matthew. How are you doing here tonight? I'm doing really great, especially now that I'm talking to you. So thank you for having me on. <laughs> I told you it was a strange show, didn't I? No, anyway, so where about in the country are you at? I am in San Diego, California. Oh, wow. What's the weather like there? It's been really tough. It's been averaging about 72 degrees every day. Wow. Uh, you, you know, my daughter lives in Hammett, California, not that oh, far yeah. away. I've been through there a lot because I uh, I passed through Hemet going up to Idlewild up in the mountains there above Palm Springs. Yeah, I, you know, I the first time I went there because you know she grew up in the West Coast here uh, in the you know, Seattle Tacoma area, and when she got married, she moved up to Hemet. Uh, her husband was in the military. They bought a house, and you know, I rode my motorcycle from where I'm at all the way up to Hemet, California, and uh, boy, I I looked at their house it was beautiful and i said well where's your grass and she goes nobody has any grass and i looked around nobody has any grass and i said why don't anybody have grass they can't afford it because you'll get nailed uh, by the city if you use too much water they'll sh they'll turn you off yeah but you know san diego is basically the desert on the ocean so as soon as you start to go inland the temperatures start to rise and it, it gets more you know barren for lack of better words Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
I got to ask you a question. How old were you when you started, you know, because you do a lot of different things here. How old were you when you started getting interested in paranormal things and all this stuff that you're into? You know, in essence, as soon as I could read, like when I was a kid and, and when I first started to read and, and I was reading about Dr. Doolittle talking to the animals, I was fascinated. And then uh, as I uh, grew older in my early teens, I really got into pyramids and I did a lot of research and study on pyramids. Uh, and then I got into the geometry and the rest of it. So it's really been a lifelong passion. You mentioned the pyramids. I've had so many people through the years coming up with their ideas of the pyramids saying, well, you know, they, 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 they put these logs, which where are you going to find logs? Number one. And they would mm -hmm. have these big stones. They would, you know, have all these slaves, you know, drag these big stones, you know, like a hundred miles from the quarry to build the pyramids. That don't make sense. And then I had another guy who said, well, you know what they did? They made a canal and filled it with water and made, you know, had barges and they barged it. And that doesn't make sense. And then I had another guest on. And he says, you know, the Great Pyramid was designed as a water pump to water the whole area. That, to me, doesn't make sense. So you, you said you did a lot of research on the pyramids. What's your take on them? It has to be an advanced civilization. There, there's, there's speculation, because everything is speculation when it comes to the past. But there's speculation that it was the remains of like Atlantis and the Lemurian civilizations. Um, it, it certainly has to be advanced technology. Even today, they've tried to duplicate it and try to recreate it in a number of different ways with a number of different technologies, and they can't do it. It's impossible. The precision of the mathematical precision is amazing. It's mind-boggling. Well, we don't even have anything accurate to cut the stones as accurate as they did. You know, Flow Industries up here in Kent, Washington, the one that perfected high water pressure for cutting, you know, concrete mm -hmm. and cutting stones. They even said they can't they can't do it as accurate as what, the, you know, those blocks and the pyramids were. But it, it, you, you think about it, it why pyramids? Because, you know, they just found pyramids in the Amazon here and, and, and some lost cities here just recently. And there's pyramids in Mexico. All over the world, there's pyramids. And I yeah, just can't believe yeah. a, a group of people in, in Egypt, all, they were the only ones that created uh, pyramids. They're all over everywhere. Yeah, you know, and there's, there's an interesting phenomenon that happens uh, in many cultures, and particularly in Egypt, where uh, a new ruler comes into being, and then he goes and he tries to wipe out all the remains of who preceded him. And if then if it's anything really good, he'll try to take credit for it. So they, they have a tendency to erase what's happened in the past and then recreate it, so to speak, you know, in their own image. Um, so it's really hard to get back to the truth. You know, truth and myths um, are, are intertwined. There, there's some truth in there somewhere, but a lot of it's just speculation and somebody comes up with a, a theory and then all of a sudden they're so busy defending it that they think it, it's the truth, but it's not necessarily. It's a great mystery. I love mysteries. Oh, yeah. It's a mystery when you think about it. Well, I don't think we're going to be able to decipher, you know, and when you think about it, you know, these pyramids, they they kind of line up with each other, too, all over the world. And how could yeah. they have done that with their technology unless they were more advanced than we are? 
Exactly. And then you and then you see things like the Nazca lines in Peru, right? They didn't know. They didn't even know they existed until they had aircraft were able to fly over and see them. How did that happen? You can't do that on the ground at that scale, uh, you know, without some higher level perception of it, you know? No. And, and again, I speculate, and a lot of people speculate, maybe that was for ETs, like a runway. You know how we have airports, we have, you know, the beacons, we have the transmitters, transponders, you know, for a couple miles before the airport, where the planes can line up to land. Maybe that was some way to these UFOs could come in and find where they're going. I don't know. Yeah, I'd be more inclined to believe something like that. I mean, there are so many mysteries that are still being uh, revealed to us that who knows how many times, you know, people will say, well, you know, the earth is going to end. Well, the earth isn't necessarily going to end. We may end ourselves, but but the, the earth is going to go on until some bigger cataclysmic, you know, like, like the sun exploding or something like that. Yeah, I wish you wouldn't said that because, you know, the sun is going really crazy right now. I mean, yeah. we, we, you know, if, if we get an X-class flare from the sun. We're going to go back to the Egyptian days. You know that really fast. Oh, yeah. Satellites are dropping like flies right now already. Oh, yeah. It's scary. And yeah, yeah. maybe that we're getting ready to be rebooted the natural way. Well, we're overdue, that's for sure, because we certainly messed up our house, didn't we? Oh, yeah. Now, the pyramids, you know, when I went to high school, I was taught the pyramids were built, you know, to put, you know, the the high ups as a resting place. And I, I, everything I've read since then, that wasn't the case. Now, some of the pharaohs and stuff used them, okay, to, you know, have their bodily remains put in. But the, uh, these pyramids, do you have any idea what they were actually were designed for? I mean, like I've had people say they're water pumps, they're this, they're that. Was uh, it for navigation, uh, maybe? Yeah, I think they were markers. And, you know, like the, the, the pyramids, uh, uh, the big uh, pyramid complex of Giza there, those three pyramids line up with Orion's belt. And the mathematical precision of the whole pyramid and the exactness of it and its place on the earth is all very, very precise. And so something bigger uh, happened before that. And, of course, you know, they had the capstones and they were covered with uh, – you know, smooth, polished, uh, I think it was granite. But, you know, those were all taken away. But it's still uh, just a massive mystery. Uh, of the, of the, I always like to talk about it as the great mystery. Well, how about the Finks? What do you think the Finks was? You know, I read a great book, and I can't remember the author. But there was uh, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that the Sphinx was actually initially uh, Anubis the god of the underworld who judges, uh, you know, souls when they pass over. And um, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think it was Cheops who went and uh, restructured it. Re, 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, when, you, uh, when you're working with stone and uh, remodeled it and yeah. put it into that, that place, which makes more sense. And then, of course, I think it was in the 40s where there were some idiots were using it for target practice. Uh, so the the face has been obliterated. But I like to think that it had to do with Anubis. And I think that part of it uh, ties in with uh, the old idea of a bunch of canals surrounding the pyramids. And where was the Nile and where were the canals? 
all those thousands of years ago. Yeah, you know, a lot of people don't realize it was the luscious valley water and all that stuff when those pyramids were built. So that tells you how much the climates have changed. Yeah, and there's all that controversy over the uh, the wearing of the stone at the base of the Sphinx. It indicates water. Uh, I, I think the, the gentleman, uh, Robert Schock, is a geologist who supported that, and yet they still refute it. Well, you know, what I read about it, too, you know, for years, what I was taught in college and stuff, that that was wear marks from the sand. And now, you know, at least some scholars are realizing that those wear marks were not created by sand. It was from being underwater. Yeah, absolutely. I, I and, and the geology says it. I mean, how can you argue with geology? It's, it's, it's the facts that you're, are presented, you know, right there before you. So you got interested in the, the pyramids. Then you got interested in all these other things. What thing, when you went from pyramids, I mean, you have had a life that a lot of people dream of of doing and places like traveling the Amazon and all this stuff. I mean, I mean, tell us more about you. Oh, sure. Thank you. <laughs> well, so, you know, it, it, part of it started out with a fascination with altered states. So uh, as soon as I knew I could get dizzy when I was maybe three, I was getting dizzy and then I was hyperventilating. Um, and then when I was uh, in early teens, I was sniffing glue and then uh, I never late... sniffed glue. I did that gold paint thing and almost killed me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I, yeah. I had my adventures. But then uh, around 71, um, I was turned on to LSD and I, I grew up in Boston and we used to get LSD from a chemist at MIT, which we used to call Mental Institute for the Touched. And it was very powerful four way. It took me doing it seven or eight times before I could handle doing a whole hit. But I was fascinated with it. So I went on that, and I went through a period uh, from basically mid-high school into my early 20s where I just tried everything I could get my hands on, everything. I tried everything. And I got to a point uh, when I was uh, 22, I think, where I thought I need to take a break, and I need to look at things from an objective perspective. So I stopped everything. I became a vegetarian. And I stopped everything for 13 years. I wouldn't even take an aspirin if I had a headache. I wouldn't drink coffee. I went totally baseline. And I said, I got to look at things from this way because I've been spending my whole life getting messed up. <laughs> so, you know, I, I went for 13 years. And then I read Food of the Gods by Terrence McKenna, uh, who part of his start was on the Art Bell Show. Oh, yeah. And when I read that book, and it was about plant medicines. And I, I thought, wow, altered states and spirituality? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and I was hooked. So this was in the, uh, like the mid-90s. So I went out and I spent $1,000 and I bought all the stuff and I started growing my own mushrooms. And I... Now, we're, wait a minute. Now, we're not talking about the mushrooms you put on steaks, right? Oh, no, no. We're talking about the magic mushrooms. We're talking about, <laughs> you know, psilocybin, which is now uh, getting some uh, big reputation. In fact, a very good friend of mine, uh, Charles Grobe, is the director of child psychology and psychiatry at UCLA Harbor Medical Center. He did the first uh, DEA approved study of using psilocybin for death anxiety in terminally ill cancer patients. 
And that was a breakthrough. And of course, now it's going, it's going all out. So I really got into that. And then I, um, I was writing a book. I, I took an honors course in anthropology. Uh, it was called A Forest of Symbols, Orientation and Meaning to South American Indian Religions. And I really got to study that. And I found out about all these plants, sacred plants throughout the world. And I went to the UCSD library, the medical library there. And I did all this research and I spent like 30 bucks on a copy card. And I copied all of this stuff from all of these different people, researchers and scientists and, and anthropologists. And then, uh, and I wrote, I got a great novel out of it uh, called Land Without Evil. And it was about first contact between the Jesuits and the Indians in South America, but it's told from the Indians' point of view. So it really gets very deep into shamanism. But I was walking down the street in Pacific Beach here in San Diego and I saw a head shop. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And so I, I hadn't <laughs> been in one for years. So I walked in and there was High Times Magazine. And I said, wow, that thing is still around? Are you kidding me? And I went over and I picked up the copy and opened it. And I opened it right to the page for the entheobotany seminars. And all of the people that I had been researching independently on my own at the UCSD library were presenting there. So uh, I, I didn't have the money, but I got my credit cards out and I went to the first one. And uh, that's how I got to meet Terrence McKenna and a number of other people. And I went and it was all about uh, the plant medicines and uh, anthropology and shamanism and all of those things. And, uh, and I'm, 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 I'm giving you a posted, I'm speeding forward here. I'm giving you a thumbnail, believe it or not. <laughs> but uh, I found out somebody who was going into the Amazon and the ayahuasca. Um, I studied it for 10 years before I found it. And this person had been going into the Amazon at that time for 15 years, and I really wanted to go. And he kept blowing me off and blowing me off. And then he found out I was very serious about what I was doing, and he allowed me to go. And so now I've been doing that, uh, like I say, for over 20 years now uh, with extended plant diets and all of the, uh, the magical things that go with it and the, and the ancient, literally prehistoric beliefs. That the, the primary tradition that I work in is a prehistoric tradition. Now, Matt, we we need to take a break. This is about two okay. minutes long. When we come back, I want to find out what it was like when you got into the Amazon. And did you, well, did you find any of those type of organic plants that maybe gave you no headache? We'll, we'll talk about that right here after this. So stay tuned. You're listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio. Southeast Oklahoma is the backdrop for a paranormal thriller series by author John Vandeventer. When Sasquatch-like creatures terrorize the town of Tallahena, Oklahoma, a Choctaw elder and his son, assisted by law enforcement and the military, are able to restore peace. Two years later, the creatures return along with UFO activity and an even darker ally. Enjoy exciting, high-intensity paranormal epics? Then read Relics, The Dark Autumn, and Relics to The Hanobia Remnant by John Vandeventer. Available now at Amazon or at www.relicsbook.com. That's www.relicsbook.com. 
Coming to you live and covering all time zones like a glove. Here's Gary Anderson on Night Dreams Talk Radio. Well, you know, I do know about those magic frogs, too. <laughs> One point in my life, boy, you know, I wish, you know, I, again, I, I don't like being 70, but I certainly wouldn't want to be 17 or 16 again either, though. No. So, I mean, you got into the Amazon. Mm-hmm. Is Was it what you thought it would be when you got off? And and I don't know if you went there, you know, by aircraft, but when you got off, did, did you, were you kind of... Southern California, it's time to get to know your power. Tip number one, run your washer, dryer, dishwasher, and other appliances before 4 p.m. and after 9 p.m. It's one way to shift energy and save money. Find more savings tips at sdge.com slash myenergy. The more we learn about COVID-19, the more questions and worries we have. CalHOPE can help with free COVID-19 emotional support. Call 833-317-4673 or live chat at calhope.org today. Shocked with what you were seeing? Well, I I have a motto in life, and it is unlimited possibilities with no expectations. So the place I was brought to, uh, you fly to Lima which is eight hours from Los Angeles, and then from Lima, another hour to a jungle town. And then from that jungle town, two hours down dusty, dirty, potholy, muddy roads to a small village. And then from that village, two hours up a tributary of a tributary of a tributary of the Amazon to a shaman's camp. And um, there we do a 10-day, very intense uh, shamanic plant diet. And uh, what happens during the course of it is the, the boundaries between your subconscious and your conscious blur. And you become physically weaker, but your perception expands exponentially. And you literally kind of become the jungle. Um, and you do five ceremonies in a maloka, which is a big roundhouse, with uh, ayahuasca, with the shaman. They're all night ceremonies. And then every single day, um, you drink a pitcher of another plant or plants. And then if you've been going for a while, like I have, then they, so you spend all the time by yourself in your open air hut called a tombow, except when you go for the ceremonies. And then when you've done it for a while, like I have, they also, you do two ayahuasca journeys by yourself in the tombow. Now the, the I'll, I'll touch on the diet very quick. It's either, uh, Rice, oatmeal, or quinoa, boiled, period. And baked or boiled platanos, which are the non-ripe bananas. And then every couple of days, a piece of chicken or fish. There's no soap, shampoo, or scents of any kind, no toothpaste, anything of that nature. And then you also have uh, a bunch of uh, leaves of a particular plant that are crushed up, and you take plant baths. And uh, it becomes a 10-day journey. And you find out things. And I, I had the most profound experience of my life there. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very serious researcher, but I'm also a writer. So I didn't want to write when I was there. So I brought cassettes. And when I would come out of these ceremonies, blasted out of my gourd at, at you know, four or five in the morning, I would take a plant bath and sit there in my birthday suit and just record what came out of my whatever was in my mind. I just recorded it all. And then I transcribed all that. And I I have two memoirs. I have Spirit Matters, which is the first one that ends with my first jungle experience. 
And I'm proud to say that won uh, San Diego Book Award for the best spiritual book. And the reason I'm proud of that is because I was very honest about my psychedelic experiences in my early life. And then I recently published a sequel to that uh, called Picaflor. And Picaflor is the name they use for the hummingbird uh, down there. And Picar is bite and Flor is flower. And um, the hummingbird has become my primary totem um, from doing all this work. So from there, um, I've done a dozen of those 10-day dietas. And I also did a very intensive two-year shamanic study course. So I worked throughout the Andes working with all the plant medicines up there and uh, the medicine men up there. And I've also done the whole Huichol peyote pilgrimage down to Huiracuta in, in Mexico and the pilgrimage to Mount Quemado. And then I've done work up here throughout the United States in Four Corners and up throughout Canada. Now, i got to ask you a question. Peyote, what, is, what type of results do you get on that? You know, it's interesting because I did so many other things and I did so much ayahuasca, which is, is in many respects the most powerful, that when I did some of these other things, I was like, well, so what? You know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, peyote, um, the active uh, component in peyote is mescaline. And you have to take a lot. And it's very bitter. So you do the traditional peyote hunt where you go out and you find uh, the buttons. And you, you have to harvest them, if you're doing it correctly, harvest them sustainably. So when you cut them at ground level and leave the roots in, they'll actually grow back more. And you have to uh, take everything you, you take, you have to eat. So um, I got a lot and I ate them all. And some people couldn't finish theirs and I ate theirs too. <laughs> um, and I had a wonderful experience of, uh, you have to really take a lot to get into a visionary state. But I had a wonderful experience of being connected to the land. And th in shamanism, everything is energy. And everything connected with the land and all the different plants are, and animals are individual spirits. So I felt very connected to the land with that particular energy. And I felt uh, a part of it. You know, you, you become part of it and it becomes part of you. And you really get a whole sense of uh, the reality, so to speak, um, of how everything is connected and how it all works together. So it, also, it opens up your senses. It opens your senses. As a matter of fact... Uh, I was uh, in the jungle, you become highly high on these diets, you become highly, highly aware. And I've gotten to the point, I've had a lot of telepathic experiences. And I've gotten to the point where I would be laying there in my tombo with my eyes closed under my mosquito net. And I would think of somebody and I would sit up and look and then they would come walking over the hill. That has happened a lot. Or I would have a particular visionary experience. And, and what we do, you do the ceremony at night. And then the next day or the next time you meet, you have an integration session where everybody talks about it. And I had a number of visions and I was getting ready to say what they were. And the person across from me, sitting across from the circle, would say exactly what I was going to say. Could so you, it, it opens you up. Could you connect with other people's mind what, you know, when you're on these medications? You can, but here's the funny thing about telepathy, and it's tied in with intuition. You can't, you can't make it happen. I can't go, ooh, I'm going to read your mind. Oh, you're having nasty thoughts about that young lady. You know, it's not like that. It's spontaneous, and it, and it happens when it happens, uh, and you can't predict it. 
But when you continue on the path, and, and in my humble opinion, uh, as you go further along on the path, you start having synchronicities. Um, and I can, uh, if, if your listeners don't know, I can describe synchronicities. Oh, please do. Yeah. So a synchronicity, that the term was, I believe, was uh, coined by Carl Jung. And a synchronicity is when something that is happening, happening within you internally happens in the outside world. And it's, uh, you know, you have a thought and then all of a sudden you think of a person and then and they call you. Uh, that, that's one example. There are a number of examples. Or you have a particular dream and then that day that thing happens or you see the person in the dream. So it's an inner thing that gets reflected back to you from the outside world. And in my experience, that is a, uh, an indicator that you are on the right path, that you're figuring it out. And then when you get deeper and deeper into it and into shamanism, you begin working with elemental spirits. So the primary elemental spirits that we know of are earth, air, fire, and water. But all of the animals and all the plants are all considered elemental spirits. And when you take in these different plants and ingest them, they work on you in different ways. I've worked with many, many different plants and they all affect you in different ways. But they, they work with uh, ayahuasca, and ayahuasca is considered the mother of all the other plants. So they are all unique individual. Each plant is a unique individual spirit, which is a unique and individual energy, just like we all are. You're, you're, you're Gary. Uh, James is James. We're all unique personalities, right? We're all different. So with every plant, there's different qualities that you can take. Some of them are healing some of them are visionary, some of them are not, some of them are anti-inflammatory. They all have different effects. And this pharmacology is literally prehistoric. It goes back, they don't even know it goes back that far, uh, the, the roots of it, where it all began. So then you begin to work with the elementals, and then they start working with you. And, and I always like to say, you keep knocking on spirit's door, and then one day it knocks back. And then you get totally freaked out, like, oh, my God, right? And those were the things that started happening to me when I started working with these things with a spiritual intention, as opposed to, I'm just going to get messed up tonight. What can I get? You know, uh, having that intention. And as you progress, the real path is from the head to the heart. And when you really get into this work, you become what they call heart-centered. And you begin to follow your intuition and then the more you follow your intuition and the more heart-centered you become, the more those telepathic experiences happen. And there's a lot of speculation uh, and circumstantial evidence. They wonder why didn't the Egyptians have a more evolved language than uh, hieroglyphs? And what the speculation is, is that they were communicating telepathically. So they didn't need the language because they knew what was going on. And if you think about it, if everybody was telepathic, and we all knew more or less what other people were thinking and feeling, the world would be a lot better place because you couldn't be doing sneaky, underhanded things. You know, the, the truth, as they say, the truth is out there, right? Well, you could trust politicians better that way, couldn't you? Oh, man, I, don't get me going on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people don't give the credit to the Egyptians. You know, they were able to create and bomb bodies that have lasted how long they they were doing brain surgery they were doing dental work and and advanced 
you know, they came out with some sort of a battery type of thing. I mean, they were advanced in so many different facets in society. It's it's outstandingly confusing how if, you know, a lot of people, what I was taught in school, they weren't very intelligent. No, they. I, I really think in a lot of ways they were probably more advanced than we are. Yeah, you know, whenever there is any type of a conflict, geopolitical or whatever, history is written by the victors. So a lot of the knowledge got lost. One of the things about shamanism, you know, the, the, all the Christian stuff that went on and the Westerners that barged in and said, you know, you must accept Jesus and, and all these other religious things. And they tried to wipe out the old beliefs, but they actually hid those old beliefs inside of the uh Inside of the religions and the iconography and other places, they hid it there. So um, there's a lot of stuff that that they've tried to cover over um, or deny because it didn't fit their way of thinking. But there's some very deep, deep ancient knowledge that's there. And I think that it's now coming more and more to the surface. Uh, Terence McKenna called it the archaic revival. And um, I love that expression. And the Egyptians were way, way more advanced than people give them credit for. I, I have a, a new book coming out. It won't be out until November. And I call it Holographic Cosmic Man, the Holographic Heart of the Golden Mean. And I've discovered through my research that um, the Golden Mean is actually the perfect mathematical representative of a hologram. And I named it that because in, uh, in Luxor, Egypt, is the temple of the anthropocosmic man. And it's a very precise, exact mathematical representation of the human body. And they say that um, it's also a map of the cosmos. And that concept in and of itself is holographic. And a Frenchman by the name of Schwaller de Lubitz spent 15 years, 12 of them on site, studying and analyzing the temple. And he had a huge, huge two-book set, uh, which I've read cover to cover, called The Temple of Man. And everything, every arch in that temple, every piece of art, every portion of it is mathematically precise representation of the human body. Now that just has always blown my mind. So I've become... Aside from that, I become a huge fan of sacred geometry, and I always love to say that everything I learned about sacred geometry, I learned from ayahuasca, and then I followed through with the books and the mathematics and the intellectual stuff, but it was really revealed to me through my visions with what I experienced in those altered states. Well, what has some things that have been revealed to you about society, our, our world today? Well, so, you know, here's the thing. We're a male-dominated society, and that's the big problem. In my case, personally, um, I had no feminine side. I grew up in Boston in the neighborhood of Dorchester. Uh, we like to brag, Mackie Mock Wahlberg is from Dorchester, and uh, Leonard Nimoy, Mr. Spock, and Donna Summer, uh, they're all from Dorchester. And I, I grew up in a tough neighborhood, so I had no feminine side. I went through 30 years of my life without ever crying. And it wasn't like I'm not going to cry. It was like it just wasn't there. And when I did enough of the ayahuasca, I reconnected with my feminine. And I went through a period of beginning emotional and just bawling my eyes out at the drop of a hat for a couple of years. And then uh, the funny thing happened when those releases came and I reconnected with that uh, repressed part of myself. 
my intuition shot through the ceiling and I became, I like to think, more balanced. Uh, you never arrive. Anybody who says they're enlightened, run. Because <laughs> you never arrive. It's infinite. It keeps going. And when you get to different levels in, in shamanism, they call it the power path. And the more you rise up in personal power, uh, the greater the consequences are if you mess up because there's a greater responsibility that goes with it. So it reconnected me with my feminine side and opened up parts of me that had been repressed all of my life. And it's expanded in the most exquisite ways. Uh, one of the things I've struggled to do, and I'm told I'm good at it now after 44 years of, of struggling with it, is to take an altered state, such as an ayahuasca, which is a non-rational state, and try to articulate that in a way so that a reader or somebody who never has that experience can get a sense of what that experience is about by conveying it through words. And you're conveying something that's not rational. So uh, here's what happens. So when you, when you go, you're, we're left brain dominated. We have to function in the world being left brain logically dominated. That's just how you function in the world. When we go to sleep at night, at some point, the left brain takes a break and the right brain comes out. And that's dreaming. And you can be in a dream flying a purple horse with pink polka dots, flying past the moon, and you're totally accepting of that reality at that point. It's real to you when that's happening. You don't even question it. Yeah, I'm flying a pink horse with purple polka dots. No, right? I'm going to jump in here. Terrence, yeah. Terrence said, one time I remember him telling Art, how do you know when you're dreaming that is real and when we're walking and going to work, that is the dream? Exactly. So, exactly. You nailed it. Terrence nailed it. <laughs> so, so the thing that happens when you drink ayahuasca is that your left brain is still awake and then your right brain gets turned on and they're both on at the same time. And people I know who are considered to be intellectually centered have the hardest time and have the most freakouts because suddenly if they control their reality with their left brain logical mind and they're suddenly confronted with something that doesn't fit that paradigm, and all of their coping strategies don't work. They freak out and they can kind of literally go to a hell because they're, they're battling it and they're not accepting what's going on. But what happens after you do the, the ceremonies, and, and this goes on for days and weeks and months, it kind of never ends, but uh, after you have those experiences, then your left brain is catching up. And that's kind of really, you know, there's a big deal now all about psychedelic integration and I'm a psychedelic integration specialist and all that. Well, what happens is, is your left brain is making sense of what happened because when the right brain speaks, it's a, it's a visual, conceptual, emotional language. It's almost alien. Uh, it, it doesn't follow, but it's actually uh, quite brilliant. And when you start to learn and understand that language, then you really start to get more integrated and more balanced as a person. I, I really think so. I mean, I got to, again, Terrence said that he would go days without sleeping. Yeah, I, I have to say, uh, my, that historical novel I mentioned, Land Without Evil, Terrence got the absolute very first copy from the first printing um, because we knew he, that was when he was, and he was getting ready to die. And so I had a friend personally deliver it to him, and it may have been the last book he ever read. But, uh, you know, Terrence had a literary bent. Uh, he always, you know, talked about James Joyce and all that. And so he, 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 when he first, when I first met him uh, in 2000 at the Maya Ruins in Ushmal there, 
uh, I gave him a copy of a book of horror stories. It was my first published book, and he loved it. And we became fast friends after that. Um, so th there's a whole part that's to be explored. I uh, And being a writer, I like to let my mind go. Uh, I always tell people, if you really knew what went on in my head, you'd, you'd run really fast because it'll, it'll, it would terrify you because I really like to let my mind go. But it, it always fascinated me with all the horrors in the world. You look at serial killers and all these horrible things that happen. Well, they're all human. So we're all capable of that. And that has always fascinated me. Well, you know, that is true. I mean, you know, people could do the most horrible crimes if they were put in the wrong or in the right situation or the wrong situation, I mean, you know, your values can change and stuff. Now, Sharmism, you know, uh, like American natives to what you were talking about in the Amazon, what's the difference between the two? I don't know. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners don't know any more than I know about that. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things. One of the things that really drew me to the Amazon is that there's the greatest amount of visionary plants there than anywhere else in the world. But one of the things that fascinated me about shamanism is the universality of it. Uh, some of the things have the same meaning, whether it's uh, Siberian shamanism, Native American shamanism, South American shamanism, Korean shamanism. A lot of the same things are sacred. And a lot of the symbolism and a lot of the things uh, like, like quartz crystals and things like that um, and, and drumming, drumming is universal. They're all universal. And one of the things when I when I took that honors course in anthropology, I discovered that pretty much every culture in the world has the myth of the flood. There are remote Amazonian tribes who had no contact with Westerners who have the myth of the flood, you know, which in the Bible is Noah's Ark. But that the fact that they all had that fascinated me to no end. And then as I got more and more into my research, I realized that uh, every single religion in the world has its roots in shamanism. The first time somebody looked up at the stars and said, what does this all mean was the beginning. And shamans were the first uh, teachers, performing artists, musicians, storytellers, doctors, and healers. They were the very first. And um, then, uh, you know, all of the, the different religions uh, grew out of that. And then when you think about it, um, you know, Muhammad went into the cave, uh, Buddha sat under the Bodhi tree, and Jesus went into the desert. I, I always upset Christians when I say this, but I say, look at Jesus went into the desert and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he talked to God. Well, I guarantee you, if you go into the desert and you fast for 40 days and 40 nights, you'll be talking to God, too. No, here's the thing. If you go in the desert and you're fasting and you're not drinking any liquid for 40 days— you know, I, I was listening to a doctor today on on a uh, video, and she was saying, you know, nowadays, when you got somebody that's near death, you know, the, the first thing that your body does, it, it doesn't want to eat no more. It doesn't want to drink. And mm -hmm. that the medical profession nowadays, it's not even giving people, you know, uh, any liquid, you know, through the veins, because they find that... It's a more peaceful death that way than trying to keep somebody, you know, uh, giving them water, giving them, trying to make them eat. Because when their time is up, they they pass off more comfortably. 
Yeah. And and yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. It, it, but the thing is, I don't I can't buy. You go in the desert and and fast and and all that. I that that don't that don't compute to me. I'm sorry. No, no, it doesn't. And in, in, in fact, uh, yeah, when you go into the jungle, it's an ordeal. It's not fun. It's an ordeal. And what they say is that all of the discomfort that you go through, physically, psychologically, emotionally, all of it, they say that that's the price that you have to pay to prove that you're worthy of the knowledge that the plants have to give you. And I, and, uh, I can see that. So, you know, the difference, so, so you have organized religion. And I'm just going to use the Bible as an example because people can relate to that. Jesus had his epiphanies and his, all his parables and his wisdom. And then he died. And the first thing that happened is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all wrote their own interpretations of it. So suddenly that, that direct experience got put into four different translations. And then, of course, through all the, all the years and all that, you know, that got rewritten and somebody translated it and somebody else translated it. And then somebody else turned it to their own ends. And then Kim James put his own spin on it. Right? Oh, yeah. And you're all removed from the source of it. So what the shamans say is, the heck with all that. Go and have your own experience because personal experience in the end is all we really have. It's our own perception. And everything I'm telling you right now is based on my own experience. I always like to say, this is my universe. It doesn't have to be anybody else's. Nobody has to believe me. I'm not trying to convert anybody. But from my own personal experience, this is how it is. And this is how it has evolved for me. And it's been expanding ever since. And it just never ends. And I, and I, and I feel very, very blessed to be able to have done all the things that I've done because hardly anybody gets to do what I've done. And that's why it's important for me to write about it and convey about it and, and, you know, put out all those things. People would say to me all the time, thank you for going to the jungle for me. And uh, I get it now. You know, I'm, I'm going for that and I want to convey that experience. So if I do go through a lot of ordeals, other people won't necessarily have to do that. They can learn from what I've experienced. But, you know, that's the whole thing. Society has changed so much. You know, recently, in the last couple of years ago, I lost two sons, and I went through a mm-hmm. deep depression. Now, we have a, a mini farm. I got a couple of horses. We got a couple of goats. I got a couple of acres of cedar trees. And you know what I did? I went outside. I sat down. I looked at the sky. I looked at the trees for hours. And all of a sudden, I connected with nature, which mm-hmm. I haven't done for years and then my whole outlook changed. You know, it opened up my eyes and my thoughts. And that's what, I hate to say it, people have lost that because everybody's so involved on their computers, going to work, watching TV, playing video games, and whatever they do. They they lost the the part where you connect with Earth, Mother Earth. I couldn't have said it better. And by the way, you had a very shamanic experience when you did that. Uh, there's an interesting thing that's that I've observed. So written language developed more with the Greeks, and it was actually around for probably a couple of 100 years with the Greeks, but they weren't using it much because the oratory storytellers, the oral traditions, they were performers. And some of the wisdom of the jungle has been passed down through oral traditions, which is why I wrote the historical novel that I did, because I wanted to try to capture that. But as soon as you write it down, you, you have more or less frozen it in time and taken it out of context. And then from the, the writings, you had the monks 
transcribing books. And then you had the Gutenberg Press. And then now you have uh, e-books and audio books and tree books. Um, it's all gone into the Internet, which I like to call the narcissistic hall of mirrors. <laughs> you said it perfect. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and now I've discovered that some of my best uh, book sales and things have gone when I'm doing audio books. So it's gone full circle from the oral traditions, full circled all the way back again. But you can see from the original performers, and they would they would adapt their stories as they're uh, these these bards who are going and telling the stories as their civilization uh, moved on. They would adapt the stories for each generation to fit what was going on. So the the stories evolved, and that's how they kept their knowledge alive. Hey Matt, our time is up for tonight because it's I only have an hour here tonight. Uh, I don't know if you're free next Friday because I had a guest cancel for next Friday. But I, you know, I like to have part B to this. Oh, I would love to do that. I Thank will, you, Gary. I will have yeah. my producer get a hold of you here after the show, and we'll we'll nail it down. I got to ask you a question: Did you ever lick one of those magic frogs? I smoked them. It's I never five, done that. Yeah, it's it, and I can get into all that ne- next time because we're going to run out of time here. But the active component is five meo DMT, which is a. a dimethyltryptamine which is dmt it's 5-methoxydimethyltryptamine is toad venom and i've smoked it i smoked it for a lot of years and i took (laughs) a lot of people on journeys and uh that was a mind-blowing life-changing experience i can get into that next time because you you can already tell with me if you hit the on button i'll just keep going you got to rein me in at some point (laughs) i like the ever ready battery now how can they find your books okay so um, uh, all of them are on Amazon. They're ebooks and tree books, uh, growing audio books. I also have my own publishing company called Mystic Inc. Publishing. It's M Y S T I C I N K publishing.com. So they can buy directly from the publisher there, or they can go to Amazon and find them there. And if they go to my website, which is mattpalamary.com, I have tons of uh, content there. I have, uh, you know, audio books and video and TV shows and radio shows and all of that. And actually, uh, all anybody has to do is just Google my name and the first thing that will come up with uh, my website. And there's a contact form there. So if they want to pop in and say hi, it'll email me and I can reach out in that way. Well, great. Hey, Matthew, I really enjoyed having you on. By the way, I never tried glue. Yes, I did. I'll be honest with you. I tried glue. It didn't (laughs) work. You know why? It was Elmer's glue and I was in sixth grade and you know my friend said hey i was i was snorting glue so i I stole some elmer's glue from my class took it home and my dad came into the bedroom he goes what are you doing and i said well i'm well i won't tell you what i said but (laughs) but the same guy also told me go smoke some tea and i tried that and i got sick anyway I, I, Matthew, you have a good one. We'll have you on next uh, Friday. We can go an hour and a half. And my friend, I really enjoyed having you on. I mean, you're probably one of the most honest people next to, you know, who who's passed uh, on. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you so much, Gary. I very much appreciate it. And I look forward to being on again. And we can go down any kind of rabbit hole uh, along these topics. I can talk at length about 5-MEO or the plants. And all of those things. Okay, my friend. You have a great weekend. It's coming up. You got it, buddy. Thank you again. And thank you, James, for all your good work. Okay, my friend. You take care. We will catch you next Friday. Everybody will be on tomorrow with a, well, we're going to cover 
remote viewing and a whole bunch uh, of stuff this guy we're having on tomorrow check out our website at www.nightdreamstalkradio.com this is going to be the godfather of remote viewing a lot of people think it's major dames no this guy was around before major dames even knew what remote viewing was so we're going to have a great show here tomorrow everybody have a good one Again, give us a thumbs up on uh, YouTube. If you haven't subscribed to our channel, please do. Again, I want to thank iHeart. We're everywhere on iHeart and syndication and all that. Everybody have a good one. We will catch you on the other side. Everybody take care. California, it's time to get to know your power. Tip number one, run your washer, dryer, dishwasher, and other appliances before 4 p.m. and after 9 p.m. It's one way to shift energy and save money. Find more savings tips at sdge.com slash myenergy. At Palomar Health, we're reimagining the entire healthcare experience. We want patients to know that we're going to treat them like family when they come in the doors. Taking care of people is the most important job that can be done. By bringing in the latest and greatest technologies, which provide less invasive surgery and better outcomes for our patients, we're going to take the stress and the fear out of healthcare. At Palomar Health, the future of healthcare is here today.